Before we get started, I wanted to make one other announcement. Uh, Mission Dharma, uh, specifically one of our Mission Dharma teachers, Tara Moulet, will be leading a five-week series on uh, what are called the five aggregates, the five skandhas, the building blocks of a sense of, of self and experience of the world and it's a, a fascinating topic and if you can if you can learn that learn about the five aggregates uh, you will understand a lot of of what makes us uh, what makes us live and react and feel ourselves to be separate individuals and how that happens and I don't know what Tara will what she would say about this, but I, I think it's a really essential teaching, and she's going to do a five-week series starting May 12th uh, here at the church, five Thursdays. So please sign up, and the access to signing up is on the website. So take advantage of this rare opportunity to study this very important element of the, of the Buddhist teaching. So just thinking about the five aggregates, the, the five aggregates just loosely are um, form, material form, feeling, perceptions, mental formations, and consciousness. So that, those elements arise with, in each moment of experience, the, those five skandhas, those five aggregates have to come together for you to have any experience of anything. And when you hear this teaching, it, it, at least for me, it draws me very close to what is happening moment by moment in my life that I usually gloss over and take for granted that there's an experience happening and it's happening to me and then somebody's doing something, somebody's not doing something, and I'm caught in the drama of life, and I miss that that simple, simple moments of experience are made up of these, of these processes that are happening spontaneously, all by themselves, selflessly. And I take ev all of it so personally, I take everything of life very personally, and miss the miss the processes that are the laws of nature that are operating moment by moment in my experience. And so Dharma practice and even hearing about the five skandhas reminds us to some point in the span of our life we want to come close. If we truly want to understand reality we want to come close to what's actually happening moment to moment to come out of the tangle of all of our conceptual overlays and all of our beliefs and all of our, our prejudices and all of our, our um, confusion, all of our things that we're grasping for, aversive to, complaining about, to come out of that, to, to experience life in its simplicity, in its intimacy. And you can tell, even if you didn't even hear these words, just spending a little time quietly tonight 
letting the past drift into the past, the future remain unborn, we touch into just some taste of reality, some intimate experience of reality, and something in us is reclaimed, a basic goodness, a basic okayness, a, a, a sense of being present and conscious, and there's just something strengthening and fortifying about that. And if we spend all of our lives in reaction and in drama, we, would, we miss that preciousness that comes from stopping, from keeping quiet, from touching into the simplicity of things. And there's something fundamentally nourishing about that. But it's not only nourishing. It's also necessary. It's necessary to come to that simple single point called here. That point where you touch yourself, where life touches you. That everything converges, all of your life converges in this immediate moment. It's the place where we feel that we're maybe not quite as alone as we often think we are, quite as isolated in this excessively individualistic culture. This kind of egoic-driven, less communally-driven culture. This is a time where we can feel a little bit more a sense of community. So both as an individual, we feel our wholeness for a few moments, and we also at the same time feel somehow in that wholeness, in that, in that sense of autonomy, here I am. There's somehow in that autonomy, I also feel a little more connected. It's one of the paradoxes of practice. The more I come home to myself, the more I feel connected to everyone else. And it's so easy to feel disconnected when I'm, when I'm not quite, when my mind is not settled in my body. My heart is, is in a state of disturbance. My mind is spinning about the imagined past and future really hard to feel a deep kinship with the life in and around me. So it's essential in order to feel a sense of connection to stop, to be present, and then hopefully to not, not relegate that time of presence just to, the, to Tuesday night, but to whenever we can remember to come to that single point, to touch life right where it touches us, wherever we are, whatever we're doing. That's the whole essence of this book. Is, is find, it's, it, the subtitle, it's, it's called Invitation to Meditation, Finding Peace Wherever You Are. So it's not just necessary for feeling a deeper sense of, of connection with our life, feeling more deeply whole. It's also a a way of fortifying ourselves for everything that we have to deal with every day. I mentioned a few things when you came in tonight. Just the constant impingement of our senses. Like we can't decide in the morning that we are not going to see, hear, smell, taste, touch, or think, or be just affected by sight, sound, smells, taste, and the whole sense realm. We. We can't say when we wake up in the morning, I will, no one will talk to me. No one will yell at me. No one will, no one will disagree with me. 
No one will shame me, judge me, compare me. No one will do some kind of microaggression or just do something. that You can't say that. Life is continually bringing to us what the Buddha called Sankara Dukkha, the, the constant impingement of our senses. With, and it's, as long as you, it's the definition of birth. If you're born, you deal with a constant unfolding of sense experiences. And some of them are pleasant, some of them are unpleasant. Many of them are unpleasant. And it is the pleasant ones that we react to with a lot of grasping, the unpleasant ones we react to with a lot of aversion. And when you're facing a lot of impingement all day long, you're doing a lot of reacting. And the more we react, the tighter we get. The tighter we get, the more reactive we get. The more reactive we get, the more we spin in, in, uh, in a lot of discursive thinking. Internal pressure is the number one cause of internal tension, stress is the number one cause of excessive uh, rumination and proliferation of thought. So we live in a situation where we have to find a way to be fortified, to accommodate the constant experience of stresses. Because if you're born, definition of birth, leading cause of stress. <laughs> and it's not just for one person, it's for anybody that's born. It is not possible if you're human to avoid it. And it, then it turns out that humans this is not, there's no different now than it was at the time of the Buddha in this way. Humans, because of their, their way they're can both externally conditioned, socially conditioned, and internally conditioned, the way our brains work, we are very, we're reactive beings. And in our reactions, we have, in fact, it, you know, one of the reactions that my wife was telling me about this study that, that when we meet other people who, are, who don't feel exactly like us, that don't look like us, or don't, are different than us in some way, the, the more different someone is from us, our brain naturally reacts with a, a reduction of empathy. And so that, that structure of our humanity, that tendency, that conditioning, unless it's met with a lot of consciousness and a lot of heart, that just proliferates and we have this world of massive racism, injustice, class issues that are just so extreme, such poverty. And then one of our ways of reacting to it is instead of sitting in the middle of it, opening to the pain of it, unless we are training ourselves day in and day out to sit in the middle of it, to open to the, the dukkha, the, the, the pain of it, our mind goes into withdrawal, into isolation, into hiding out with only those who, who we feel comfortable with. 
and we go to sleep. So the Buddhas, you know, all the way back at the time, this is nothing new, this is what happened at the time of the Buddha, there was already so deeply stratified in Indian society this view of reality that there was a, almost like a, a litmus test for, there was such a deeply entrenched caste system, kind of a litmus test for purity. The certain, there was a, and the class system was very stratified and there was, there were those who, the Brahmins who were the, the had the, the purity, and then all the way down the line to the untouchables. And those, those categories, those views that came out of reaction to differentness, some kind of differentness, became hardened into entrenched patterns of, of separation and isolation. And the Buddha's revolutionary teaching was to say, hey, this is all a construct. This is a reaction, and that, and the way he worked with it, he says you join the you join the the monastic order, and untouchables, Brahmins, any class, it becomes it becomes you it, it is equalized. You will not be measured for your purity of birth. You'll be measured for your purity of your heart, how developed you are in your actions, in your speech, how, how quiet your heart is, how kind you are, how compassionate, responsive you are, how, how well you live with others in, with respect and caring. And so he created, his way of creating a system was to, was to say, if you want to be a, if you want to take these teachings, if you want to enter the stream of this, of this teaching, you know, you've got to drop your, your, your habit of isolation and separation. You've got to open to the, the, the shared humanity, to the equality of all of us. Now I think when we hear that, when I hear this, of course I long for this. I long for to touch into the shared humanity. I, I, I try to see that wherever I can. But, but just like time, the times, just like it was at the time of the Buddha, the old conditioning dies hard. And just as it does today, I know for, I've been in the, in the last couple days, I've been in a, um, Undoing Racism workshop at Spirit Rock because Spirit Rock admittedly has some endemic blindness to the privilege. Partly it's located in Western Marin County. So it's not exactly the, the, the most diverse uh, place. But Spirit Rock is a world center. People come from all over the world. And it is, it's, when people come from different places and from different, to come on retreat, they come from everywhere. From San Francisco, from, from the East Bay, from, from New York, from Boston, from every corner. And ideally, if we want to have a, a, a non-class, non-hierarchical, accessible to everyone, 
we can't be just uh, continuing a kind of a kind of blindness to the the tendency because of where it is and the founders who are mostly white in order for it not to just fall into becoming another white center led by white teachers who then have uh, and predominantly white people going to the retreats and the, the diverse community, the melting of practice into, into that, that non-caste system, a kind of accessibility to everyone, it just, it, it won't happen. And that same kind of conversation is happening all over this country, especially, it's so obvious. And we bring it up from time to time here at, at Mission Dharma. But, uh, so I was reflecting on, on all of us, to, you know, on, on my own little version of living in a, because we live in a caste system too, in a class system. And as a, so my practice is not only to touch into that, simple reality of the present moment. It's to take that experience of connectedness and that sensitivity to that I don't exist apart from, from everybody in this world. That I don't live in this little bubble of of just live in this bubble of privilege. I'm part of a network. I'm being affected by everything and everyone that's going on. And if you don't know, if I don't know that I'm being just as affected in some ways by racism and classism and ableism and everything, and all the other, if I don't know that I'm being affected by that and I'm affecting it, then I'm actually, I'm just living in some kind of fundamental delusion. I'm missing an element of, of the practice that is, in some ways, the, the, um, the part of the Buddha's teaching that was, was a form of radical social action, which is saying, enough of the inequality. Enough of going to sleep and accepting the class structure that that demeans many people, that, that allows people in our own culture to have a lack of accessibility to resources and education and safety and comfort and love. It's crazy. What kind of a practice is, what, what kind of a, what kind of a, how can I be a yogi and be asleep? to the reality of so much pain in our, right in our midst, in this neighborhood. You know, I don't, anybody that's lived in this neighborhood, I, my first place that I lived in San Francisco was, 19, was 20th and Dolores Street, across from Dolores Park in a 12-unit apartment building. And I did all my shopping and eating in the, in the mission here. And it was, uh, it was, Kind of funky. Loved it, but it was funky. And but and it, in many ways it was it was quite impoverished. 
relative to other places in the city. And so access to, to services and, and safety and everything, less in this neighborhood. Interesting though how as the neighborhood has become gentrified, now everything's here. Now why is that? Why is everything here? Now, all the services, all the, it seems so abundant. It's because white people moved in. And we don't talk about that very often. That, you know, where the white people go, that's where you find the access. We don't even realize the privilege. So you have white people can go around, oh God, what a great neighborhood. It's got such cool, it's got history. It's got so many cool restaurants. We just take it for granted. So we, our Dharma practice is partly about about touching into the simple reality of the present moment. But that only fortifies us to then open our, our lens wide. We do it in meditation practice by cultivating that sky-like nature of the mind. That's Sogyi Rinpoche says the purpose of practice is to awaken in us the sky-like nature of the mind. So that's great while we're sitting on our cushion to have that wide view, to realize our mind has no limit. It's inherently free. But where that, but that wide view also has to extend into our view of our social and our political circumstances, the way that we relate to one another. And I personally, my view gets very narrow because of my privilege. I have, uh, you know, there have been times in my life, I, I talked about this on this workshop, that when I was in, when I was in uh, grade school and junior high school and early high school, I played organized ice hockey. In, and I used to, I excelled in ice hockey. I was a left wing and a center. I don't know if any of you know ice hockey. I excelled and I was chosen to be on the, the uh, city all-star team, which was in Omaha, Nebraska. And as an all-star, I was, I was invited to travel all over the middle part of America playing in hockey tournaments with, with the other, other communities and their all-star team. But it turned out that, um, that the coach of the of the all-star team was a, a rabid anti-Semite. And he treated me really poorly. He treated me as though I was less than human. He called me names. He, he wouldn't allow me to play, to, to go on. He would leave me on the bench. And throughout my little hockey career, the parents of many of the kids would scream out, Jew boy, big nose, because my nose grew before everything else. <laughs> and the kids parroting their parents would, would, you know, take extra shots at me. So this was a mild, I mean, it was traumatic for me, but it, compared to the, the level of 
as a, a generally uh, a white a Caucasian person, I had many support systems that allowed me to to balance those traumatic moments with with a lot of comfort. Many people have that experience every day of their lives. Every single day. Many people in this room have that experience every day of their lives. And I'd see a few people smiling in agreement. But interestingly, interestingly, even though I have my own little small version of oppression, I was able to, in the course of my life, just slide right into unconsciousness, into a kind of obliviousness to, to my comfort. I could live in my own little privileged world, find my own charming neighborhoods where they have nice restaurants, and say, wow, this is great. And, un- and not have a lot of questioning about how, how this neighborhood came to be the way it is. Or how this happened. What's that? The people who are here created culture. The people who are here created culture. The people who have been here for generations created the culture. Yeah, there was a sense of culture, exactly. Yes. Yes. Exactly, it's being eroded. And this is, you know, this happens everywhere where there's, this happens in every city because of the, because because it's so easy to fall into either that, that fixate, that individualistic view, just it's all about me and, and my life and my stresses, or if we fall into the, the trance that we are, we're all born into, a kind of trance of, of uh, racism, basically. A trance of, of an unconscious, yeah, an unconscious kind of obliviousness to, to the real stratification of our, of our culture and the oppression of so many people. So part of our practice is to touch into this simple reality of the present moment. Part of that is to develop the capacity to open to not just the joys, remember the worldly winds, the joys and the sorrows, Gain, loss, praise, blame, fame, shame, pleasure, pain. We open to it all. And that includes opening our eyes to the neighborhood we live in. This is uh, our mission here. This is mission dharma. Our dharma is in the mission. And our mission is dharma. (laughs) Dharma is truth. Dharma is truth. How is it here? And there is that immediate truth of just the suchness of us being together. And then there's the truth that um, a, lot of, a lot of shit has gone down here. There's a lot of pain. We're sitting on a legacy of a lot of pain. And it's happening every day. And so, not to, so I don't know exactly what to do. You know, that this is just the beginning of, of 
my reawakening, you know, I'm reawakening every other day around this because the shroud is so thick. But, um, and so I don't have the answers, but I, I do have a very strong sense that our practice is really essential for opening our hearts, clearing our minds so that we can actually see what kinds of systems that we are part of and that we're, we're perpetuating every day by our ignorance and obliviousness. So may we all awaken together. Because I would really, you know, as I was going through this workshop today and, and I was thinking about the, the um, just the unequal access to services, to education, to resources, everything, and how, how those who are crying out in need and in, in frustration for what we, we tend to treat those who are crying out as, as problem, as troublemakers, as, as uh, irritants, <clears throat> and all the other more pejorative names of, of what people, how people are treated. And then when I was, I, I keep thinking about the, the African culture of the tribe of that uh, teacher, Maladoma Somme, where he, he talks about when somebody is, expresses frustration or just acts out in a big way in their community, the whole community gathers around that person. And they listen because they consider that person to be a voice of the community, trying to communicate to the community something that needs to be heard. So part of, part of our Dharma practice is also, and this is certainly, I'm a work in progress in this, is learning how to listen, how to hear. And, you know, being in this, in this role, I'm doing a lot of talking. And I'm not always doing a lot of listening. And uh, so I want to make sure everybody feels heard here. And that I can then use, I can speak in a language that you can hear instead of just going off on my whatever I think is useful to talk about. Anyway, just work in progress. May we all awaken together. May we all touch that single point where life touches us, and may our hearts and minds widen to there's not one being, one person left out of our hearts. And not just as a, a lofty ideal, but as a living day-to-day -day experience. Don't close your eyes. Come out of the tangle. Live in silence, as Rumi put it. Flow down and down and down in ever-widening rings of being. So let's just sit quietly for a moment. May all beings have happiness and the cause of happiness. May all beings be free from sorrow and the cause of sorrow. 
May all beings be unseparated from the sacred happiness which is free from sorrow. May all beings come to rest in the great equanimity, free from attachment and aversion. for being here. Thanks for your generosity. And also anyone who would like a book, they're $15 and we'll just handle it right up here. I'm happy to sign it. Thanks for your practice. See you next Tuesday, hopefully. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.